Today, if you have your Bibles, we're, we're turning to 1 Corinthians 4. We're concluding our lesson on uh, 1 Corinthians 3 and 4. And the theme, of course, is uh, revival. Everybody say revival. And how unity is at the core of revival. And <clears throat> today we're going to review just a bit, and then we're going to finish chapter 4. Um, and so we're looking at God's unique plans See if it'll come up. God's unique plans for unity, revival, and souls. Now, there are some people that say, well, if you won't preach holiness, then you'll have all kinds of people. But guess what? The fastest growing churches in the world are holiness churches. Aha! I told someone that the other day, and they said, oh, 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 oh. I said, well, so that blew your theory. You can't, say, you can't say preaching holiness will keep you from having revival. Because some people say revival can only come if people this and people that. The only way revival is going to come is through God's plan of revival. So and say, well, I got the Holy Ghost, but I never spoke in tongues. No, you didn't. Whatever you got, it was not the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You may have gotten close to God. I often tell people the Spirit of the Lord was clearly there, whatever took place in your life. But that doesn't mean you were filled with the Holy Ghost. I mean, you could have some milk in the fridge. That doesn't mean you, you drank it. Oh, I got some milk over. Well, great, but you got to put it in the glass. You got to do more than just have the milk on hand. You gotta, you've got to enjoy it. You've got to let the fountains of the Spirit break up into your life. And so it is. It's like prayer. Some people think they're praying because they bow their heads. That's not prayer. That may be reverence. It may be good. I'm not saying that there's nothing to someone bowing their head, but Prayer, let me tell you the difference. When your child is at death's door, that's when you're praying. Yeah, you're not doing any of this, oh, 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 my watch, oh, my watch. I got to go watch the, the soap operas. That's not what you're doing. If your child is at the very edge of life, suddenly you figure out what prayer is. Things change. And so God has a plan and God's way. And this um, chapter, chapter four, which we've been trying to get to, we've just sort of let it come up as it does. But now we're finishing it. And, of course, the entire message of chapter 4 is the word stewards. Can you say stewards? All right. So the attitude of a steward is the attitude of revival. And it is, of course, the attitude of the church. And so we're going to uh, walk through several scriptures here. Uh, God's plan for unity, revival, and souls in that order. You're not going to have souls converted if there's not revival. You won't have revival if there's not unity. And of course, we looked at most of that in chapter three. And you say, Brother French, that's the longest Bible lesson in the world. No, I've, I've heard a few others that were a little bit longer. Okay, now let's look at a review. We're going to kind of redo it. I know we did this last time. Um, and we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and the basic message is that we are to be united around our labor for souls. Everyone say, praise the Lord. So if someone says, could you help us out and do so-and-so, and you say, I could care less. Well, that's, that's, that's not a laborer. Someone that says, now I don't mean, of course, that uh, folks are just supposed to wear themselves to a frazzle. That's, that's not the point. Laboring doesn't mean that every single day you wake up wishing, oh, man, I'm just about, I'm exhausted. I can't work anymore for God. That's not the kind of labor we're talking about. We're talking about spiritual labor. But I, I'll say this. Sometimes when you're, when you're under the, uh, the, the stresses of the spirit, they can be more 
uh, impacting on your person than physical stress. In fact, sin will take a greater toll. I know some of you are not believing this, but sin can take a greater toll on someone's life than their physical condition. And God can remove a physical ailment, but he cannot remove sin that you will not repent of. So we're united as laborers in the field and as temples. That means that we're united about two things. Souls have to be saved, and when they're saved, they become holy temples of the Lord, that it's about being saved and living a holy life. That's what it's about. It's not just about, oh, I believed in Jesus. I'm going to heaven. Wait, wait, I got to go listen to the most curse words in the latest movie. No, no, no. That's not what being holy is about. Being holy is about saying, I'm the Lord's. I belong to him. This is his temple, and I'm going to live for God. Can you say praise the Lord? So look at verse 18. Of course, we're only referring to it, but verse 18 says, well, of course, we could look right here at the, over here instead of looking at the, uh, the PowerPoint. Let no man deceive himself. So, uh, so the Bible says that men deceive themselves. I would say themselves, or he deceives, a man deceiveth himself. That is to think or suppose that God's will or what God wants or what God says, for example, the Bible, is foolish. Folks, we're living in an age when there's a great deal of bold, and by the way, this is what chapter 4 is about, bold evil. Bold evil in our world. People who just blaspheme God and they think, and you know what they actually think? I had someone say this not too long ago. I have blasphemed God, Reverend, and he didn't do a thing to me. I said, well, that's, you must have been blaspheming the God I serve because he's a merciful God, but your day is coming. If you think that you're going to blaspheme and there's no tomorrow, there is a tomorrow. And you are breathing breath right now in lungs that were made by the God you're blaspheming. And so you are deceiving yourself if you think that you can ignore the will of God. For example, look how long we've been ignoring the outlawed Bibles in schools. Are our schools now better? I don't think they're better. I think our schools are a, uh, a, a breeding ground for all kinds of, of nonsense. And young people in those schools, many, I'm not, I don't mean every school, many, many schools, many teachers are, are great, but there is a, there is that breeding ground for, for young people who are looking for answers and uh, what they're getting in that system uh, that says, well, there's no creation. You came from a monkey, all that kind of thing. That's just foolishness. And now they're out, outwardly mocking the Bible and so on. Well, of course, you say they've always done it. Well, of course, men have always been had sin and, and rebelled against God. But we're talking about a nation that was once our greatness came. Now, you think about it. The greatness of this nation is rooted in the fact. I know others are, too, but. This nation, its entire blessing, we're about to celebrate Thanksgiving, it all came from faith in God and trusting God. You know why this nation was even founded? Because religious people were escaping persecution in other lands. They came here because they wanted freedom of religion. And now they're saying a person's immorality is more important than a man's religion. 
That's what's happening in our culture. Now, whether it will hold up in the courts, nobody knows. But I know one thing. I serve a God that is greater than any man or any voice. Praise God. So you deceive yourself if you think that the will of God is, is foolish and therefore you can just, anything you want to do, any, any kind of sin makes no difference. They're laughing, for example, at Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm hearing it more and more. And I understand it because our culture is trying to justify it. And so they want it to be this or that. And, 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 and Hollywood, Hollywood has become the new preachers of our generation. And so they're telling every day, telling people who to do, what to do, how to do it. Young people, don't mind, don't listen to your parents. Man, you do what we say. And young people, they find that exhilarating. Of course they do. And somebody's going to pay for that. In fact, every sin, every sin, will, you'll, everybody's going to stand before God. Now look at verse 19. He layeth, uh, I mean, he, he taketh, I, I don't know where I saw that. He taketh or traps, you see, I'm helping us out here. The wise in their own craftiness. So here Paul is quoting Job 5. The Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise. That they are vain. So when you're depending on your intellect or your, you know, we, I studied the stars and, and those stars have been there for billions of years. The Bible's got to be wrong. You need to really rethink it. You need to rethink God and what he's capable of doing. But, of course, in a world where it's just easier to say, man, I don't even have to obey God. I can do anything. I don't, my parents can't tell me anything. That's the kind of generation we've come to. Now you say, well, is it just hopeless? No, it's never hopeless because we serve a mighty God. He's going to be with us right up to the day of the rapture. But it is important that the church listen to the voice of God and not be foolish and deceive themselves all right, he knoweth the, the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. All right, let's go to the next one. Now we're, verse, now we're in chapter 4. Let's read it together, shall we? I, I, just so we can get started. And let, let me check. Let me see. I've been kind of going at it here. Here we go. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and the stewards of the mysteries of God. Okay, if we could just get maybe three people help us to read it. Here we go. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Okay, so we can see clearly now we're starting it. I know some of you are nervous. You say there's 21 verses in this chapter. Yes, we're going to look at every one of them if the Holy Ghost. Uh, well, I don't want to blame it on the Holy Ghost. Um, we're going to get to all of them. Let a man so account of us. He's talking about the apostles. So how are we to look at the apostles? They're ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That's two. Everybody say two. That's two things, ministers and stewards. Now, someone said they're the same thing. No, they're not the same thing. They're very similar. They have, uh, in some ways, you can almost interchange them because in people's minds, a steward, that's a servant. No, 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 no. No, there's two, there's two aspects here. We're talking, first of all, about somebody that is a servant, and secondly, of someone who is a steward. Now, what I've done is I've broken down the word stewards into two clear meanings. The first one, everyone say steward. The first meaning is the one who is in charge. You're in charge of it. God has put us in charge. For example, God has placed man in dominion over the earth. That's true. He has. He has placed man. 
And in the church, we become in charge. And then secondly, have having the responsibility. And therefore, we need to think of the ministry and think of our ministry as both a servant and as a steward. Or we could say minister. But I, the reason I didn't say minister was servant seems better. It clicks better in our mind. So we're in charge. God has placed us in charge. And we have a responsibility. For example, you say, well, I don't understand why. Because God has given us a responsibility. Let's say someone's in a house and they're, and it's on fire. Don't you think you have a responsibility to do something, if, if nothing more than to pick up the phone? Did you know that we're in a culture where someone could be being killed on the streets of some of our cities and they will not even pick up a phone? They'll walk by because that's the kind of culture we're in. But I tell you, we do have a responsibility. And our number one responsibility is to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a responsibility. Can you say amen? So the attitude of the kingdom and the perspective, I'm just trying to make sure I'm covering my bases here, that produces the souls being saved is that of humility. Everybody say humility. That is a servant. A, someone that is surrendered and then someone of, of acceptance. I accept the will of God in my life. Could we just lift our hands and tell the Lord we're willing? Father, I'm willing to do whatever you've called me to do. And I thank you for it. And I magnify your name. Praise God. Now, l- let me get. Oh, um, praise the Lord. Moreover, it is required in stewards. Verse two. Could we read that together? Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. In other words, faithful to the responsibility. How many noticed that he went over, he went past the idea of a servant and he began to then focus on the idea of being a steward because he used the word moreover. In other words, uh, I mean, there are a lot of ways to translate that. Uh, Moreover, in other words, I want to go a little further here. It is required in stewards that a man... Be found faithful. And someone said, well, because our minds, we could think of parallels. I don't want to go too far astray here. But in terms of the, of the kingdom of God, we must be faithful to the cause of God and revival and souls every single day. Are you praying for souls? Are you praying for the church? Are you believing God? Folks, let me tell you something. We need to pray for our world every single day. When I say pray for our nation, I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about pray for the people of this land. Pray that God will touch people all over the world. So when we say pray for our missionaries, I don't mean just pray for them and their children, though that's critical, and we do it all the time. We do it every day. But we also mean pray for the work that they're conducting, that revival will come. Does anybody know we need a revival like we've never had before? We need revival. Folks, we we need a change of thinking. We need a change of perspective. And it comes when someone has an attitude of accepting responsibility. This is what God wants me to do, and I'm going to serve him. I'm a steward. Now, someone said, we ought to translate that. uh, I don't have another translation. I I meant to check on that. Like uh, someone would say, well, that's an administrator. You're a steward. You're an administrator, which is a kind of a modern management word that you would say someone is a, they're responsible. They're the administrator. But I don't like that. 
I don't like saying, well, we're all administrators. That, that, to, that, to me, that just muddies the water. The fact of the matter is we are responsible. Therefore, I am a steward. God has put me in charge. He's put it in my hands, and we thank him for it. Now, so in other words, uh, we must be faithful. We're going to keep going. And you notice here, are we at the little, okay, go to the next one. We're at the, um, so here's what looks like young hands. I don't know if, why I'm saying that. Um, is that okay to say that? If I don't mean that I would recognize old hands. I'm just saying that um, those look like young hands. I, I don't know why. It just, <laughs> I'm, I, how am I going to get past that now? Okay, so those are hands. And um, in them are uh, uh, the growth of a plant, which symbolizes, of course, the growth of a life. Paul himself is referring to it. He's chapter 3. That's been his entire message is that the, that the church has to grow. You know, some people, they only want to go to a church where they can listen to their own. In other words, if they sing rock music at their church, then they like it because that's what they're doing at home. And, uh, and so the trends in, in crazy religions, all kind of crazy religion, uh, will do whatever men want. But that's, we're not here to do what we want. We're, we're called to do what God wants us to do and be faithful to him. And in so doing, we hold in our hands the lives of, of, of individuals. For example, if you tell someone, you, you, know, you do what you want to do, but if you tell someone, you don't have to be baptized in Jesus' name. That's just a, why would God care about it? Then you're responsible for what that could do to someone's heart. You say, well, people say that all over the world. I know they do. But if you say to someone, well, it do, you don't need to be all that emotional, all that emotional. You can go there, but don't worry about all that holiness because you could just, you, you can skip what you don't want. I'd be very careful telling somebody that. I would say, listen, you need to listen to the word of God and then let your heart adjust accordingly. For example, some people are a little nervous, like I'll see them walking on the edge of holiness and they'll kind of go, uh, oh, ooh, whoa, wow, look how far down that is. And, and then they're kind of nervous, you know, and I'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, whoa, look at that, you know. And then, I mean, you don't just run out there and go, whoa, nothing to it. Because that'd be foolish. Now, I have this thing about heights I, I don't want to tell you about. I tell people, and I'm brave. I have no problems. Like the Empire State Building, first thing comes to my mind is never go there. CN Tower, first thing I think of is do not go up there. I went up there with a the crowd, and that's the next thing after don't go there is never go there with a the crowd. And we were, did we go up this? No, that was before we even met. We went to the Empire State Building, but you were more afraid than me, so I felt fairly brave. Um, but in the CN Towers before we met, and we, we went up, and I was with—I was the evangelist, you know—and they were, "Oh, Brother French is so tall and so wonderful." And then we went to the top of the tower, and then they were like, "What's wrong? What's wrong?" Uh, I feel very led of the Lord to get in the elevator and head back down. I'm ready to go if you all are. They want me to go. They have an area. Have you been there, Brother French? There's an area. John, have you been to the CN Tower? Uh, there's a basic, I mean, I don't know if the whole floor is this way, 
because I didn't get out there very long. But there's a, it's like in the middle of the floor of the CN Tower, which is truly a tower. It's not a building all the way to the ground. It's a, you go up this thing and then you go into a, a thing. And, uh, and, and when you get up there, there's a huge section of the tower that is made, the floor is, the floor, the floor is made of glass. And they, then you walk out there, you prove you're brave. And I was like, Lord, everyone wants me to walk out there and prove I'm brave. And I kept trying. Oh, ooh, I'm brave. Oh. I'm serious. <laughs> you think I'm joking. I'm not joking. I'm at the edge. I'm going, oh. I'm brave. Lord, I know I'm brave. <laughs> oh, I was frozen. I told someone, there's something here. There's a, there's like a electromagnetic something there. I can't, I can't move my feet. They said, no, no, Brother French, there's nothing. I don't think so. I don't think so. And they were doing, the, I said, no, I'm serious. I can't move my feet. They said, no, just lift your leg. It's nothing there. I never touched that glass. I never touched it one time. And I'm telling you that that's the first time I've ever said that. I've told that I went up there and then just skipped the rest and up the CN Tower. Uh, because being able to break that fear doing what I should do. But he say amen. All right, I'm, I need to hurry. I've, I've spent all that time telling you that I didn't get on that glass. All right, now, verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come. Everyone say, until the Lord come. So don't let anything hinder you. Don't let this world hinder you from winning souls. For example, some of you are afraid if you invite someone to church or whatever. Well, they'll see that we're all emotional. They'll think we're cuckoo and so on. As though that's going to... So in other words, if, if, if you're worried, folks, let me tell you something. What we need to do is put our faith in God and preach the clear word of God. Love people. Love them. Hey, you know what? A lot of folks never felt love before. They're going to come and feel. You're, you think. Uh, I remember when I, my mom had never been, and I was so worried about asking her to come to church. I kept telling her, but I was thinking, no, you want to come like on uh, like Wednesday. Uh, uh, no, not Wednesday. Uh, how about, and I kept trying to get a time for her to come. One night she just said, I'm, I'm going to come with you tonight. Oh, oh, no, we got an advance. Uh, oh, wait, huh, Mom. And uh, no, I want to come. I, I'm going to just go with you. You've been faithful to church, and I'm just going to go with you. And man, that church just went what you wouldn't believe, shouting and dancing. And I knew that I tried to get mom not to sit right where she did because I knew that sister there, I knew how she um, would do. And uh, she would the sooner, I mean, you couldn't even say, Hallelujah! And and sure enough, and I was trying to be there, you know, okay, uh, mom, I kind of looked over at mommy. <laughs> you know, as she jumped up and she started bumping the pew and, whoa, hallelujah. And I thought, boy, this is it. This is it. 
And the preacher got I me, mean, the whole service was like that. And it was just like, and I thought, Lord, um, I mean, this is great. It feels wonderful, but mom doesn't get it. You, you're, it's a little much. I mean, it's really going to be hard for her. She's, gonna, she's not going to get it. And then they started on the altar call, and I kind of was praying. I was afraid to open my eyes, so I looked over, and she was gone. And I, I'll never forget it. I was so disappointed. I, it was like just everything just crashed down. And I thought, oh, I know it. I know it. Why did I sit here? I mean, I love it when she worships like that, but mom just couldn't. And, and I looked around, and I heard a commotion. And I looked down in the altar, and there was a, everybody, whoa, hallelujah. It was my mother. She was right in the middle. She'd already run to the altar. Praise God. Let's clap our hands and thank God. So quit fearing, quit fearing, quit fearing. Trust God. Because, you see, you can judge something before the time. That is, you can judge it uh, and uh, miss the point. Both, uh, until the Lord comes, both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. So, Stewards know that what matters is not what men are saying, but what the word of God says. Now, let's go to verse six, shall we? Let's get our Bibles. And if you want to look up here, I'm going to read from the ESV, which is a favorite of mine. I enjoy using it once in a while, and I'm going to use it here. Uh, it's not the best. This is a pretty difficult uh, set of words to translate. For example, look, look with me here at verse six. I'm jumping into sort of the end of verse six. None of you. Uh, may be puffed up in favor of one against another. In other words, don't uh, don't become like Hollywood does. You know, here's the Academy Award. This is you know, don't do that. Uh, everybody's deserving. How many knows that every God loves everybody? And but of course, the point was that they were saying, well, the, I'm of this preacher and I'm of Apollos, and that's what's been going on in in the discussion. For who sees? Now, this is the one of the hardest. Notice I underline it. For who sees anything different in you? See, now there's the ESV. That's one of the. They've spent 125 years trying to get a better translation than the King James. They sold about you know one. Like if you had. How many? Here's the King James from here to the ceiling. And how many of these Bibles sold? About just about. Wait, hold on. About that many. That's how many Bibles sold. Great, brilliant scholars. They spent 125 years. Finally came out with the ESV. It was originally the RSV. And now it's the ESV. And, and they came up with, for who sees anything different in you? And people read it and they say, what's that mean? Well, don't have a clue because that's not what the Greek says. For who sees anything different in you? Or, let's, let's try to understand it without digging too deep. Why do you think people would think you're better than everybody else? That's really what it means. Without digging into the Greek and going haywire here. Somebody, see, arrogance says, I'm better than them. They were raised on a... <laughs> but I was raised. I have an education and look at my money and whatever and they say I'm better I'm better maybe they look at their skin or they look at their world around them or the car that they happen to have so and so that's what the ESV is trying to get at but it did a, uh, didn't quite work so what 
do you have, Paul says, that you did not receive? Now he's scolding them. He's getting ready to really scold them hard. So you got to buckle up here. What do you have? So you can feel in the tension. What do you have that you did not receive? What, what is it that you're bragging about? That you're driving, that you have, that you put in the bank, that you think qualifies you to disobey God. You're a fool. That's all. The only word that can come to mind is a fool. A man that says there is no God, I do not answer to God. That man's a fool. That's a fool. Someone said, well, I don't understand. That, okay, I'm not talking about the man that says, I don't understand. Please help me. That's, that, that's not foolish. That's the th- smartest thing a person can do. I'm talking about the man that says, I've made up my mind. I'm on my own. There's no God. You're a fool. What you just said and what you just did has placed you in danger. It has destroyed your soul. And for a child of God to move in that direction is to pull it out of God's hands and suddenly think, my car, my this, my that makes me something. Hey, folks, we're all just saved by the grace of God. Hallelujah. We ought to be praising God. We ought to be lifting up his name. Okay, so why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So whatever you've got, You got it from God. And, of course, the point here is that humility is essential. Everybody say humility. All right. Now, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I'm sorry. I'm taking so long. Um, All right. Now, verse 8. I'm still reading from the ESV. Already, and now he's scolding them very, very, very. He's into the scolding. Already, you have all you want. Already you have become rich, he says. Of course, he's laughing at them. He's saying it. Have you ever heard the, let me think about this. Have you ever heard the expression tongue in cheek? Does anybody know what that means? No? Could you, if anybody knows what that means, just kind of give me a little wave. All right, that's not enough. Okay, uh, what's a better expression, Sister French? Oh, you, you're waving your hand. All right, so you know that tongue in cheek means uh, So if you say, if somebody's saying it tongue in cheek, now the word, the word for that is sarcasm. How many knows what sarcasm is? You're saying something. (laughs) I'm not going to use any examples. All right. You're being sarcastic. That's what that's what Paul is doing. I, I once had a, a fellow that was really troubled by the fact that Paul would use sarcasm, but but I don't have time to discuss it. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich without us. In other words, you didn't need us apostles. You didn't need a pastor. You didn't need a Bible. You figured it out because of who you think you are. You have become kings. God hath set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were, appointed to death. So in other words, there are many Christians. Listen to me. You're not, I know you're thinking, oh, we're almost out of time. No, no, no. You listen to me. There are people who call themselves Christians that are no more like Christ than the man on the moon, whoever he is. They do not look like him, act like him, care about him, read about him. They just call themselves Christian. Maybe their grandmother was one. Maybe their great-grandfather was one. But they haven't stepped inside a church in a hundred years. 
but they're counting on the fact that somehow or other they got, uh, you know, I'm okay because of my grandma or whatever. It just doesn't work that way. No, if we're Christians, we should be like Christ. And how many knows that he was crucified and that he gave himself? That's what we have to do. Not be crucified in, the, uh, in a natural crucifixion, but we have to be willing to give ourselves. As it were appointed to death, the apostles, for we are made a spectacle. Everyone say spectacle. We are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. Hallelujah. You see what he's saying? Here we are. God has placed us, and you guys are rich and famous, and everything's hunky-dunky, but look at your apostles. We're being killed. We have nothing, and you act as though you're the one that's speaking for God. But I tell you right now, you're fooling yourself. If you want to see the mighty hand of God, you have got to surrender yourself just as we apostles are doing. I even had one guy say, I don't care what the Apostle Peter said. I was trying to explain to him that the Apostle thought that would help him. That the authority of an Apostle, I don't care what an Apostle said. And I stopped a minute and I said, you're right. We've got to go another direction. Because if you don't care what the Apostle Peter said, then why am I even here? But I'll tell you why I'm here. Not because I think you're going to listen to me. He had only met with me because I had a PhD. And I said, you know, none of my credentials, the only thing that qualifies me to stand here is that I am a believer. I received the Holy Ghost. I was a sinner saved by grace. My family was lost without God. And suddenly the Holy Ghost came down upon us. I said, that's exactly what you need. You don't need a a degree or money or a reputation. What you need is for the Holy Ghost to come down right here in this room. By the way, I said the same thing. That just happened to be a very wealthy man. I said the same thing. And educated uh, to an uneducated, if, if that term even matters, someone with no formal education didn't mean they weren't smart. They were quite smart, but they had no formal education. And uh, I was talking to them in a very tiny. It was a house, but it was so tiny that we had to have. We couldn't even have the Bible study in the living room, and so we had the Bible study in this other area, the kitchen area, and we opened the window because I couldn't stand the cigar smoke, you know, in a closed room. So I said, y'all just smoke all you want, but could we just open this window right here? And they just smoked those cigars. And when they first started, they were this, <laughs> and then they, uh, they'd get real interested and they <laughs> blow the smoke right in my face. And I'd say, I, uh, hold on. <coughs> All right. I said, if you could just do me one favor, blow that smoke. Just blow it over that way. And they were so kind when they popped the beer cans, they would always offer me one and say, you've got to be warm, Pastor. We have no air. No, I'm feeling great. And they'd pop the beer cans and blow the cigar smoke. 
And I said the same thing to them. Here's our problem. You think you know more than God. That's our problem, I think. I don't. I don't think I know more than God knows. But you do. And if you do know more than God knows, then you're, you're right. You're right. I said, well, you, here's what we got to do. You've got to sit that cigar down, and you need to ask yourself, is this gamble worth it? Am I right, or is God right? And then start thinking about it. Because I said, there's only one thing going to matter. It's not going to be whose cigar, whether they came from Cuba or wherever they came from. It's not going to matter what you've got, what you live in. It doesn't matter what you're wearing. They said, listen, Pastor, I'm never coming to your church. That's what they said the very first day of the Bible study. Do you give Bible study to people that are never going to go to church? I said, absolutely. Absolutely. You mean you'd give us a Bible study that we're never going to go to your church? Yes, I would. No problem at all. I'll come. We'll have Bible study. And they said, I said, let's make a deal. I mean, that sounds like a movie, but um, I said, let's, did I, did I say let's make a deal? I think I did. I said, let's make a, a deal. I will never ask you to church. Ever. Good enough? They said, yeah. Man, I feel better. He looked at her and he said, okay, that okay, honey? Oh, yeah, that's, I feel better about that. Never am I going to ask you to church, ever. And so this is the night when the wind is up and the cigar smoke. I mean, you would have thought it was the temple. There was so much smoke in there. And I could barely breathe, but I was holding on, and I was praying, Lord, help my lungs. Help me not get whatever they've got, and help me, Lord, to stay. And I haven't touched the beer, and so thank you, Jesus. And, and I said, but let me tell you the only thing that's going to matter is the Holy Ghost came down into my life. And I was filled with the Holy. I told him about my dad that was a drunkard and how God filled him with the Holy Ghost. And he was sitting in a vodka bar and the Holy Ghost, he started talking and they, their eyes got bug-eyed. And I said, and the power of God came. I was talking kind of soft though. Right now I'm talking kind of like I'm preaching, but uh, I wasn't preaching to them. I said, and then the power of God came, and I said, he got up, he fell, he fell down the stairs, and he just remodeled, and he got down there, and when he got to the bottom of the steps, he was talking in tongues. I said, God completely turned his life around. I said, and, and that is what is essential. You either will yield yourself to the Spirit, or you will not. It's just that simple. You, I pray you will. And they, you could see big old tears, and the, the husband said, uh, oh, oh before you go, Mervyn, uh, do you, don't, you have to rush? you have to rush? No, because I was thinking, I, if I want to breathe, I do. And so I said, uh, uh, if, uh, no, I think I'm going to have to go, but I'll be back. And they said, but wait, 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 we have a question. Don't we, honey, don't we have a question? And I said, all right. They said, do you think that we could attend your church on Sunday? And I said, of course. You can attend our church anytime." You want to, but I'm going to keep my deal. That's between you and God. I'm not teaching this Bible study, so you'll come to my church. 
I'm teaching you this Bible study because the Holy Ghost is real and God wants to move in. And before we could even get, did, he get, did they get the Holy Ghost that Sunday? I think they did. They came to service. They were never going to attend church. And we were only on like the, we were still talking about Moses, folks. We weren't even out of Genesis. <laughs> let's stand. I've already talked myself. Come on, let's praise God all across this building. Let's ask God to help us to be stewards of the gospel. Father, we love